We're continuing our studies in the offerings, and uh, this evening we come to the peace offering, Leviticus chapter 3, and we'll begin reading at verse 1. And if his oblation be a sacrifice of peace offering, if he offer it of the herd, whether it be a male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord. And he shall lay his hand upon the head of his offering and kill it at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall sprinkle the blood upon the altar round about. And he shall offer of the sacrifice of the peace offering an offering made by fire unto the Lord, the fat that covereth the inwards and all the fat that is upon the inwards, and the two kidneys and the fat that is on them, which is by the flanks and the call above the liver with the kidneys, it shall he take away. And Aaron's sons shall burn it on the altar upon the burnt sacrifice, which is upon the wood that is on the fire. It is an offering made by fire of a sweet savour unto the Lord. And if you uh, just turn over into Leviticus chapter 7, and uh, we'll read a little bit more from here. Leviticus chapter 7, and we'll begin reading at verse 11. And this is the law of the sacrifice of peace offerings, which he shall offer unto the Lord. If he offer it for a thanksgiving, then he shall offer with the sacrifice of thanksgiving unleavened cakes mingled with oil, and unleavened wafers anointed with oil, and cakes mingled with oil, of fine flour fried. Besides the cakes, he shall offer for his offering leavened bread with the sacrifice of thanksgiving of his peace offerings. And of it, he shall offer one out of the whole oblation for an heave offering unto the Lord, and it shall be the priests that sprinkleth the blood of the peace offerings. And the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offerings for thanksgiving shall be eaten the same day that it is offered. He shall not leave any of it until the morning. But if the sacrifice of his offering be a vow or a voluntary offering, it shall be eaten the same day that he offereth his sacrifice. And on the morrow also the remainder of it shall be eaten. But the remainder of the flesh of the sacrifice on the third day shall be burnt with fire. And if any of the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offerings be eaten at all on the third day, it shall not be accepted. Neither shall it be imputed unto him that offereth it. It shall be an abomination, and the soul that eateth of it shall bear his iniquity. And the flesh that toucheth any unclean thing shall not be eaten. It shall be burnt with fire. And as for the flesh, all that be clean shall eat thereof. But the soul that eateth of the flesh of the sacrifice of peace offerings that pertain unto the Lord, having his uncleanness upon him, even that soul shall be cut off from his people. Moreover, the soul that shall touch any unclean thing, as the uncleanness of man, or any unclean beast, or any abominable unclean thing, and eat of the flesh of the sacrifice of peace offerings, which pertain unto the Lord, even that soul shall be cut off from his people. And again, we'll just jump a little bit, just jump to verse 28, and we'll just read a few more verses from here. Verse 28, And the Lord spake unto Moses, 
saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, He that offereth the sacrifice of his peace offerings unto the Lord shall bring his oblation unto the Lord of the sacrifice of his peace offerings. His own hands shall bring the offerings of the Lord made by fire, the fat with the breast, it shall he bring, that the breast may be waved for a wave offering before the Lord. And the priest shall burn the fat upon the altar, but the breast shall be Aaron's and his son's. And the right shoulder shall you give unto the priest for an heave offering of the sacrifices of your peace offerings. He among the sons of Aaron that offereth the blood of the peace offerings and the fat shall have the right shoulder for his part. For the wave breast and the heave shoulder shall have I taken of the children of Israel from off the sacrifices of their peace offerings and have given them unto Aaron the priest and unto his sons by a statute forever from among the children of Israel. Amen and will end our reading there of God's holy words. Well, as I said, I want to uh, continue this evening our studies in the offerings. And as I said, we've reached the third offering here, the peace offering. And for those of you who like a, a title, as it were, to hang your thoughts on for the evening, and my title then for this evening is Christ, our peace offering. Christ, our peace offering. You remember the previous two, Christ, our burnt offering, Christ, our meat offering, and now Christ, our peace offering. And before we just... Uh, consider some of the details about the peace offering this evening it's worth just perhaps very quickly reminding ourselves a little bit of the foundation that uh, we laid down at the very beginning regarding the offerings in in general and you'll recall uh, when we were thinking about the offerings as a whole uh, that the primary focus of the offerings is Christ he's pictured if you remember in every part uh, and he is the one who fulfills every part of the offerings. And so therefore, as we come to Leviticus chapter 3 this evening, we are looking for Christ. Christ is here. We come expecting to find Christ. And we also noted in the uh, introduction that these offerings uh, for the Israelites of the Old Testament were sermons in action. They were being told spiritual truths through these very visual and very physical uh, symbols in front of them. They were emblems of spiritual truths that they were to learn from and being, of course, pointed to the Saviour, being pointed to the Messiah. And the last aspect that I just want to mention uh, by way of introduction now is that we also noted that the offerings provide us with a pattern, don't they? A pattern and an example of the devotion and the service that we should show uh, towards God. Of course, if you want a more fuller introduction, then you can go back and listen uh, to uh, the recording on uh, the website. But I want to hurry on into this third offering, the peace offering this evening, uh, that we read about here in Leviticus 3 and more in Leviticus 7. And I want to just draw your attention to a number of points of interest uh, from this offering, uh, with particular reference to Christ. That's who we're focusing on this evening, Christ in the peace offering. And just to help us this evening, I've given each of the points just a single word that we can hang our thoughts off uh, for this evening. And the first thing that I want you to notice this evening is reconciliation. Reconciliation. Notice just in verse 1 there of chapter 3 
Leviticus 3 and verse 1. It says, And if his oblation be a sacrifice of peace offering, peace offering, the Hebrew uh, there that we have two words translated, is just a single word in the Hebrew, and the root word of that word peace offering is the word shalom, a word that we're very I'm sure familiar with, Hebrew word shalom for peace. Now, from, a, you know, from an English perspective, the word peace denotes a number of ideas, doesn't it? We talk about a peace of mind, we talk about uh, getting some peace and quiet, and we tend to use the words to denote the end of war, quietness, the absence of hostility. We view it as sort of speaking of tranquility and harmony. However, the concept of peace or shalom in Scripture goes much, much further than that. It's much deeper. It's a, a word that is far richer than what we have in the English. It's not merely the, you know, the ceasing of fighting and hostility and warfare, but it speaks of completion. It speaks of fulfilment, a state of wholeness and, and unity. And then it speaks of all the things that then flow from that, so prosperity and and welfare and joy and happiness that comes through peace and prosperity and so on. And the word is especially used in Scripture to speak of a restored relationship. It speaks of reconciliation. Two parties that were once at war and had enmity between each other now reconciled, now have peace. And this particular offering signified to the offerer as he came and he offered the animal and as he ate the animal that he now had peace with God. He was now reconciled. There was once hostility, there had once been warfare and and enmity, but now there's peace. There's this completion, there's this perfection, there's this wholeness and fullness and also this happiness. There's this restored relationship. We could say contentment has replaced conflict and harmony is, is now instead of hostility and instead of rage, we've got reconciliation. And so then we ask ourselves, well, what relationship has been restored? And of course the answer is between the offerer and God. As he comes and he brings this offering, he's now, it's now symbolic of him being reconciled to God's. God's position, of course, had never changed. It's the offerer who is now reconciled to God as he brings this offering and he he lays this offering and he brings it to the door of the tabernacle and it points all towards reconciliation between him, a sinner, and an almighty and a holy and a just God. And so we see this evening how this, just at the very beginning here, this offering is immediately pointing us to Christ. Remember the words of Paul in in Romans 5, verse 10. He says, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son. That's how we're reconciled to God today as as sinners. It's through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Or you remember the words in 2 Corinthians 5 and, and verse 18. He says that all things are of God who have reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. And so that as believers, we now have peace with God, don't we? And it's through the Lord Jesus Christ. Just turn with me to uh, Ephesians in chapter 2. Paul lays this down very clearly in this passage. Ephesians chapter 2 and 
beginning at verse 12. This is what Paul says there, Ephesians 2.12, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who have made both one and have broken down the middle wall of petition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments, contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. And verse 16, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. And so we have this, we're immediately drawn to the fact that Christ is our peace. And verse 17 goes on to say, and he came and preached peace to you who were afar off. And to them that were nigh. You see, we now have access by one spirit unto the Father because Christ is our peace. He is our peace offering. Reconciliation between vile sinners and a pure and a perfect God has been made. And it's all through the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul repeats this idea in Colossians, similar passage to what we just read, Colossians and chapter 1. He, uh, very similar thoughts and language that Paul uses between Colossians 1 and Ephesians 1 and 2. But in Colossians uh, chapter 1 and verse 19 and 20, he adds this extra detail. He says this, Verse 19, for it pleased the Father that in him, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. So Paul is reminding us here that peace has been made through the sacrificial death of Christ, through the shedding of his precious blood. This is, this is how uh, tonight as believers we are reconciled. And it's demonstrated here in, in Leviticus chapter 3. Let me just turn back to uh, that passage, Leviticus 3 and, and verse 5. You'll notice an interesting little detail that we're given here. It says, in Aaron's son shall burn it on the altar, that's the, the kidneys and the fat and so on, upon, he says, the burnt sacrifice. Notice that little detail. The peace offering was burnt upon the burnt sacrifice. And you'll remember from our previous studies how we, we spoke of that intimate connection between all the offerings and uh, if you remember, you just follow this with me, you'll recall that the burnt sacrifice spoke of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, his atoning death at Calvary. And then we looked at the meat offering, and the meat offering spoke particularly of the life of Christ, a life of devotion, a life of service to uh, the Lord. And so when the offerer came with his peace offering and the animal was killed and the various parts were, that are mentioned in verses 3 and 4 were then placed on top of the burnt offering with the meat offering there as well because you remember that the meat offering was always offered with the burnt offering. When he saw all of these things 
He was to note, wasn't he, and to realise that peace with God could only come through a sacrificial death and through a perfect life and through the shedding of bloods. And so believer tonight, as New Testament Christians, with a, with a complete Bible, with a greater knowledge, we look and, and we see Christ's perfect life, life of devotion and service, and we see his sacrificial death, and we see that what is the fruit that flows from this? Well, it's peace, isn't it? Peace with God. We're reconciled to God. And it's, it's all of Christ, isn't it, who is the Prince of Peace. And of course we could turn up lots of references that highlight this truth that peace comes only through the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me just remind you of that one that we've thought about uh, in the days just before Easter. Remember in Isaiah 53 and verse 5, we thought about this verse then that he was wounded for our transgressions, Isaiah 53, verse 5, and that he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. We have peace, of course, not through any action of our own, but it's only because of Christ. And as believers, we now have peace with God, Romans 5, verse 1, And we have received peace from God. You think of Romans chapter 1 and verse 7. And now we enjoy the peace of God. Remember those words in Philippians 4 verse 7. It's a peace that passeth all understanding. So the first thing that we see then from this offering is reconciliation. It's a peace offering. But the second thing I want us to focus on, the second word is affection. Affection. And we're thinking particularly of the affection, of course, of Christ. And to see what I'm trying to drive at here in this point this evening, just look at verses 3 and 4 with me in this offering. You'll notice that in verses uh, 1 and 2 we're told that the offerer was to come with an animal from the herd. On this occasion it could be male or female. There was much more freedom compared to uh, the burnt offering. It was, of course, to be without blemish before the Lord's, uh, just like the burnt offering. Then there was the laying on of hands again. And there's the mention again of the door of the tabernacle, access to God's. And again, the sprinkling of blood in verse 2. But then when we come to verses 3 and 4, we have these extra details. It says that he shall offer of the sacrifice of the peace offering, an offering made by fire unto the Lord, the fat that covereth the inwards, and all the fat that is upon the inwards. And the two kidneys and the fat that is on them, which is by the flanks, and the call above the liver with the kidneys, it shall he take away. And we could note similar details in verses 9 and 10. We didn't read these verses, but um, verse 9 and 10, you've got similar details when it's talking about from the flock. And then again in verse 15, when it's talking about a goat. And what I want us to notice here is what was offered on the fire. It was fat. And particularly the fat that surrounded the inward parts of the animal. In actual fact, as you read chapter 3, ten times the word fat is mentioned. And the fat of the animal in Scripture represents the choicest, the, the richest parts of the animal. It's the very best. And the inwards those especially those parts of the animal that were close to the heart 
speak of the affections. And here we have a, a wonderful picture of the Lord Jesus Christ when he offered himself up as the pure and perfect peace offering on our behalf. He offered the best. He offered the choicest sacrifice that could ever be offered. Now Christ did not offer up some inferior sacrifice, some sort of second-rate offering. But he offered one perfect and complete sacrifice for sin. It was a perfect offering. And by offering up the inward organs which speak of love and and speak of devotion and, and the affections, we're being pointed to the truth, of course, that the Lord Jesus Christ offered up not only his body, but he offered up his every affection, every part of him. You know, Christ, he went to Calvary not out of mere, some mere obligation to the Father. He wasn't just completing a task to satisfy his heavenly Father. It wasn't just like, as it were, a job. But Christ went to Calvary out of love for his people, out of affection for, for those whom the Father had given to him. Andrew Bonner has written a, a commentary on Leviticus and uh, It's well worth reading, but he says this about the peace offering. He says this, Every deep affection, every emotion, all that love could feel, all that desire could yearn over, was presented by Jesus Christ to the Father in that hour when he became our peace. And that's true, isn't it? Christ yielded everything, not just his body, Remember what Paul tells us, tells the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 5, isn't it? Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And friends, this evening, this is a wonderful thought, isn't it? When you think about the unflinching love of Christ at Calvary. Christ is our peace offering, offering up every affection, every desire. Everything was laid on that altar. At Calvary, what affection, what devotion. And it was for you and for me as vile sinners. I think there's a, there's a challenge here for us, isn't there, this evening? God requires, and in a sense he must have, the fat of our lives and the inward organs of our lives. He must have the very choicest part. We must give to him our most inmost affections and our noblest powers. We must, as it were, bring to him our first energies and and everything that we've got, our purest love. And we must, as it were, devote it in humble consecration to him. Someone put it like this, God deserves not the mere bones of rigid formalism, not the mere sinews of strenuous observances, not the mere skin of outward profession, not the mere blood of ardent enthusiasm. Instead, we let God, we gave God our youth and our strength, our richest love and fullest further to him who is worthy of all. Let me ask you, friends, is there anything that you're holding back from God? Is there something that you're keeping for yourself? Well, Christ, he yielded up everything. And friends, so must we. We must be able to say like David in Psalm 26. Remember he said, examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my reins and my heart. And we need, don't we? We need to pray for the Holy Spirit's help to love uh, God more and more. 
Well, thirdly this evening, let me just notice something else with you. We thought about reconciliation, we thought about affection, but the third thing I want you to notice from the peace offering is communion. Communion. Turn with me particularly to uh, the end of chapter 3, verse 15 in particular, and 16. It says here, And the two kidneys and, and the fat that is upon them, which is by the flanks and the call above the liver with the kidneys, it shall he take away, and the priest shall burn them upon the altar. It is the food of the offering made by fire. It's an interesting expression there, isn't it? It's the food of the offering made by fire. Now just turn with me into Leviticus chapter 7. And you just turn to uh, verse 15. We haven't time to look at all the details here in chapter 7 about the three different kinds of peace offering. There was a thanksgiving offering, there was a vow offering, there was a voluntary offering. Uh, But I want you to notice what it does say there in verse 15. It says this, that the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offerings for thanksgiving shall be eaten the same day that it is offered. In other words, the peace offering was divided up. Part was given to God, but the offerer also came and ate. It says he shall eat the same day that it's offered. So he feasted upon the sacrifice. And then if you uh, jump down into verses 31 and 32 of the same chapter, you'll notice here that it says, And the priest shall burn the fat upon the altar, but the breast shall be Aaron's and his son's, and the right shoulder shall you give unto the priest for an heave offering of the sacrifices of your peace offerings. And so here the priest and his sons also ate and feasted on this sacrifice. Very specifically, they feasted on their breast and that right shoulder. And so when we put these three parts together, we have food for God, we have food for the offerer, and we have food for the priest and his sons. They all feasted on this sacrifice and were satisfied. In a sense, they they sat down and they shared this meal together. The meal, the food, was to be eaten within the tabernacle. And so you can imagine, there is the burnt uh, sacrifice with the peace offering upon that is food for God. And then there's the priest eating the shoulder and the breast. And there's the offerer eating the rest of the animal. And they're all sat down together, feasting on this one offering. And this aspect is unique to the peace offering. You remember when we thought about the burnt offering. The whole of the animal was consumed on the fire for God's. And then we thought about the meat offering. Remember how the meat offering, some was for God's and some was for the priest. But in the peace offering, it's the only offering where we see all three feasting together. If you turn with me to Deuteronomy, there's laws laid down about this feasting. Deuteronomy chapter 12. Deuteronomy 12 and verses 17 and 18. It says here, Thou mayest not eat within thy gates the tithe of thy corn, or of thy wine, or of thy oil, or the firstlings of thy herds, or of thy flock, nor any of thy vows, which thou vowest, that's one of the peace offerings, nor thy freewill offerings, that was the voluntary offering, or heave offerings of thine hands. But he says, But thou must eat them before the Lord thy God in the place which the Lord thy God shall choose, thou 
and thy son and thy daughter and thy manservant and thy maidservant and the Levite that is within thy gates and thou shalt rejoice before thy Lord thy God in all that thou puttest thine hands unto. The picture that is is presented here in, in Deuteronomy is of God and man sitting and enjoying fellowship and communion together. They met together in this sacrificial feast and they partook of the same food and of the same offering. God is satisfied, the offerer is satisfied, the priest is satisfied. And, and to eat in scripture together is a, is a sign of friendship and fellowship and, and union. And it was, we read there in Deuteronomy, it was a feast of joy. It was something to be rejoiced over as they sat and ate this, this peace offering. And so the point that I want to stress from this peace offering is not only does the believer have peace with God, but he now enjoys communion with God. And there's a difference. We've been reconciled to God, but we also now share fellowship with God. You can think about two enemies. Two enemies can be reconciled and they can shake hands, but they might not become friends. They may walk away and say, well, we, we, we are agreed not to be at war with each other and at enmity with each other, but they might not sit down and have a meal together. And you see, with the believer, he's not only reconciled, but he has fellowship with God. And I think we see that in the parable of the prodigal son. He's welcomed home. He's given that robe and so on. There's reconciliation between the father and the son. He's welcomed back, but then he throws a great party for him. And it's if to say, not only, are, not only have I been reconciled with you, but I welcome you into fellowship and communion once again as my son. You remember how he wanted to be a hired servant, but the father is saying, no, you can sit round my table like a son. There's fellowship, there's communion. And the believer in Jesus Christ has not only obtained peace with God, but, but he now enjoys glorious communion and fellowship and friendship with God. We now, don't we, we enjoy the most wonderful and the most intimate relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And this symbolism that's here, even in Leviticus 3 and Leviticus 7, of feasting and communion, we find it all the way through the pages of Scripture, don't we? Remember the words of Isaiah 25. Just one example of this. Isaiah 25. A lovely part of God's word, wonderful chapter. Isaiah 25 and verse 6, this is the Lord speaking, and in this mountain, he says, shall the Lord of hosts make unto all people a feast of fat things, a feast of wines on the lees, of fat things full of marrow, of wines on the lees, well refined. You go all the way through scripture and you find feasting, God talks about being the people of God being satisfied with fatness. You think about in the New Testament, the parable of the Great Supper, for example. The sinner represented as those who are poor and those who are maimed and halt and blind, and they're sitting down enjoying a feast. It's the gospel feast that sinners are invited to come. Come, remember, for all things are now ready. The feast is prepared. And then, of course, you think the Lord Jesus Christ on the last night, the night that he was betrayed. What an example there, sitting and feasting. And, of course, we, as God's people, we remember that the Lord's table, don't we? We sit and we feast together. 
as a company of God's blood-bought people. And it's a continual reminder for us that in Christ we now have not only reconciliation but fellowship with God as we symbolically feast on the body and the blood of the Lamb and we remember that we have peace and we have fellowship with him. And of course this all points forward, doesn't it? You think of Revelation. What does it point forward to? Or that marriage supper of the Lamb. In heaven it's that picture of us sitting down and enjoying a feast together. And that's what's being pictured here in the peace offering. Fellowship, communion, friendship with God. Just as I close this evening, I just want to challenge you with this. Do we regularly have times of communion with God? You see, the peace offering could be offered as often as you like, and you know, partly I think that's why it could be a male or a female. There was, in other words, nothing to hinder you. Come and come and bring whatever. I want to have communion with you. That's what God's, as it were, saying. I want you to be at peace with me. Do we have times of communion with God? Fellowship with God? Now I'm not talking about communication. That's different, communication with God. I think we often, that's how often we come to times of prayer, isn't it? Times of prayer are often just talking at God. We just give him a list of all the things, all our problems, all our sins, all our difficulties. We just sort of talk at him. That's very different. Now, communion with God is, as it were, sitting down quietly in his presence. It's feasting on Christ, being nourished by him, delighting ourselves in the love of the Father and expressing our love and our joy as we delight in him. Do we take time to do that during a day, perhaps, during a week, just to sit down, meditate upon God's word, have fellowship and communion with God? Well, I pray that that would be true of each one of us, that we would take less time, as it were, communicating to God, and more time in communion with God, talking, fellowshipping with him, spiritual communion, and also spiritual communion with one another. The feast was not just the offerer and God, but it was of all his family, and the priests. We read there about his maidservants and his manservant, all sitting down, And you see, when we have more communion with God, then we'll have more fellowship and communion with one another. Let's pray then that that would be the case for each one of us, that we would spend more and more time in fellowship with God.